Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Welcome, welcome, beloved family. So good to be with you. I'm thrilled, and uh, we couldn't be with you yesterday. Other complications, but here we are, and we hope every day this week there'll be no further complications, and just thrilled to be with you. The Synod is um, over, but it's not over. It's just the beginning of the further destruction of the Church. Um, There's a video by Michael Matt, um, you could you could see it on Remnant TV. I might send it out in an email to all who are on our email list. By the way, our Christmas newsletter, we've not been able to send out many newsletters uh, from uh, Winsboro. The last one we sent was last Christmas uh, from Winona. And now we are sending one out this year. And it's um, normally our our newsletters are 8 to 12 pages. Last year it was 28 pages. This year it's going to be 32. And it covers all of Advent through the Christmas season. Um, and we're trying to get it in the mail so that you have it by Advent, which begins December 3rd, the first Sunday in December, because we have suggestions for how you as a very faithful Catholic family, could spend Advent, maybe in ways you haven't, you haven't done in the past. Um, very, very beautiful things and beautiful stories um, and updates on us. A um, couple of photos of my final vows and Sister Gertrude Marie's temporary vows and updates on other things that are happening with us in the community. Uh, everything, but believe it or not, we've abbreviated everything to get it into 32 pages. If you're on our mailing list, you will receive it um, either by email or regular mail. Um, if you're not on our mailing list, uh, it's already at the printer, but that means it won't be in the mail for another two weeks. And so um, uh, you are welcome yet to get on our mailing list if you go to motherofisraelshope.org and you uh, click on newsletters, right on the top of the screen is a way for you to sign up to receive our newsletter. And um, there's no charge there. Um, and uh, you can get it by email or regular mail or both. Um, if you sign up with the email, you will also receive uh, one or two or three emails we may send out during the year on some significant things, uh, such as currently the Synod. Um, you're welcome to do that. If you do that, in the next few days, you will be uh, on our list in time to get our, our Christmas mailing. And we're doing something else, which we did a few years ago. Um, we're just unpacking now from the time we've been here now, I think going on four months in Winsboro, and the sisters are unpacking boxes that haven't been unpacked for years. And we have collected tons of DVDs and CDs and books and pamphlets and holy cards. And 
we are combining them all in a Advent Christmas brochure. And so we're going to hope to send that out soon by email and then also include it with our um, uh, mailed newsletter. Um, And there's going to be, I don't know how many products there, it's probably going to be an eight-page brochure. It's, um, It's an awful lot we've unpacked through the years that we've ordered and we have extras of. And we begin at 50% off and go down from there. So 50 to 70 or so percent off. And we've just said free shipping. We're not going to probably make a penny. We may lose on that, but we want to be able to give out everything we have. So um, you should receive that soon if you're on our email list. And if you're not, you'll get it with the newsletter. So God bless all of you. Um, uh, The Synod is uh, over um, it, in terms of an official date for now, but it's just beginning. Um, everything was vague, no specifics, because the specifics are coming our way, and the general impression is that everything is open for consideration in the Catholic Church. If it's female priests, if it's homosexual, uh, so-called marriage, if it's blessing of same-sex unions, uh, women deacons, um, I don't so much. It's all on the table now. What is has been infallible teaching for two thousand years is now open for discussion. Well, the fact is, dear ones, it's not open for discussion. Truth cannot change. Our Lord Jesus Christ is truth Himself, and it cannot change. But this Holy Father we have. Um, And people have questioned the term holy. Holy doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean without sin. It means to be set apart. And as the Pope of the Church, um, as the chief bishops uh, among the bishops, he is to guard the faith. But this Pope thinks it's his to do with, to play with, to do with what he wishes, and to change the faith. And so... um, he uh, has written a new motto proprio, um, and um, let me just, um, it's called um, Ad Theologium Promovendum, Promovandum. Um, ad uh, uh, motu proprio means by his own authority, and um, Ad Theologium Proven, I'm sorry, P-R-O-M-O-V-E-N-D-A-M, Provovendum, I'm probably saying it wrong, means to promote theology. And a very wonderful Capuchin priest, Father Thomas Wynandy, um, has an article on the website called The Catholic Thing, and he titles it The Doing of Catholic Theology. And he says, Pope Francis's apostolic letter in the form of a motu proprio, um, that is this ad theologium promovendum, um, was written as the approved new statutes for the Pontifical Academy of Theology. This is, this is just, um, I, I want to just say insane. Uh, to be sane is to see things as they are. Uh, To be insane is to not see reality. Um, 
This motu proprio contains many beautiful, appealing, and lofty ideals, as with much of what Pope Francis says and writes. However, confusion and ambiguity abound. For example, he writes, Pope Francis makes the following statements, all quotations are from an unofficial copyrighted translation provided by Anthony Stein. Um, Oh dear, hold on now, one moment. Okay. Um, Here are the following statements the Pope makes. Future theology cannot be limited to abstractly reproposing formulas and schemes from the past. This, to me, I'm not a theologian, not an expert, but these things startle me. Who needs to repropose the faith once delivered to the saints? You don't repropose anything. It's the faith. And um, Pope Francis says it cannot be desk theology. Theology must be synodal, missionary, and outgoing. Well, that's the church's theology for 2,000 years. Theologians, he says, must be aware of a paradigm shift and therefore must be in dialogue with different cultures, different denominations, and different religions. Theology is to be transdisciplinary. That is, it must make use of new categories elaborated by other knowledges. I get sick reading this because it doesn't matter how you describe things, but you cannot change truth. You cannot change the faith. Moreover, the Pope says, ecclesial synodality therefore commits theologians to do theology. This is terrible. Do theology. Um, It's a new language. You want to do lunch? To do theology in a synodal form, promoting among themselves the capacity to listen, dialogue, discern, and integrate the multiplicity and variety of stances and inputs. Translate that. Uh, Theology seeks the truth in love, and thus it must not be abstract or ideological. Rather, it is to be spiritual, elaborated on its knees, and attentive to the voice of the people. And in saying all this, the Pope seems to be saying that this is something new, that in 2,000 years the church hasn't learned to listen, it hasn't done theology on its knees. Um, He says theology is to be inductive, bottom-up, in that it must consider different contexts and concrete situations in which peoples are inserted, the different uh, peoples, tongues, and tribes. Theologians are to know people's common sense. People have so many images of God, often not corresponding to the Christian face of God. These divine images must, in love, only and always be privileged, first of all. You'd think that the church began today for all these things to be said. Um, It's frightening, beloved, and... um, We are living in such a time. We need to be aware of it in order that we can rightfully, responsibly resist what is false. There's the music for our first break, dear ones. We'll be right back after the break and continue with this article and then take your calls at the second half hour. 
The question that's being asked, does the Canon Law Society have the authority to create deaconesses? And no, in every language, yet and no. <laughs> now, in the early church, we used to call them deaconesses first because they were wives of deacons. They would call them deaconess. There was a deaconess not for being a priest or being ordained, nor any kind of work of administration, but for the sake of dignity for the female sex, either in the time of baptism or examining the sick or the suffering or preparing female bodies for burial. They were never to administer the rites of the Eucharist. So the Council of Trent taught there were three sacred orders, bishops, priests, and deacons. You can't have a deaconess the same way you can have a woman priest. It is illicit and it is a wrong thing to do. It should be so disobedient to the laws of God and the church. Joe McLean here, host of A Catholic Take, heard on the Station of the Cross each weekday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern. A bold synthesis of information and inspiration, keeping you up to date on the news and issues that you may have missed from a courageous Catholic perspective. That's A Catholic Take, weekday morning, 7 a.m., right here on the Station of the Cross and the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. Download it today. God love you. We hear all the time from listeners who discovered the station by seeing a Tri-God bumper magnet in traffic. You can request a free bumper magnet and start evangelizing just by driving around town. Go to thestationofthecross.com and click on Promotional Material under the About tab. There you can request a magnet for your listening area. We even have one for the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Request yours today. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm she, and I'm live, and I'm thrilled to be with you. We are reading um, the response of Father Thomas Wynandy, Wynandy, I think I might be mispronouncing that, dear Father, I'm sorry if I am, Um, uh, to the Holy Father's new motu proprio on the manner of doing theology. And we just uh, ran down a list of points that were made in that motu proprio, um, uh, and Father um, Wynandy says, now on one level, <clears throat> most of these points could be taken in a positive sense and acknowledged as true. Who would deny that theology must be life-giving to our present cultures to be evangelistic and to consider the concrete situations in which contemporary people find themselves? The problem is that Pope Francis both sets up false straw men that can easily be refuted. And he equally characterizes theologians and their doing of theology in a manner that is both most, I'm sorry, that is both misleading and false. To read Francis, one would think that previous Catholic theology was abstract, formalistic, and non-pastoral. And that only now, 
because of Francis's encouragement, will theologians and theology make a change for the better. This characterization of past Catholic theology, however, is absolutely erroneous. From the time of the apostolic father, Ignatius of Antioch, Catholic theology has been pastorally academic. Um, Irenaeus, the apologist, um, uh, Cyril of Jerusalem, the Cappadocians, Athanasius, and Cyril of Alexandria, Catholic theologians have addressed the theological issues of the day, and they have done so to further the spiritual and moral life of their flocks. The same is true of Bernard of Clairvaux, Bonaventure, Aquinas, and the entire scholastic tradition. Numerous contemporary theologians have continued this tradition, such as Henry de Lubac, Eve Kungar, and Hans Ur von Balthasar. Moreover, the theologian, the theologies of all the above theologians were imbued with sacred scripture. Scripture itself gave rise to theology and was its life source. Likewise, these theologians did not attempt to change the church's perennial apostolic magisterial tradition and teaching. Rather, they desired <clears throat> to advance, develop, and foster it, to plumb the depths of what was revealed and what the church taught. Again, they did so that bishops, priests, and laity alike could glory in these marvelous realities, the living and life-giving mysteries of faith. Yes, over the centuries, Father writes, ecumenical councils and theologians have employed technical language, but they have done so for pastoral reasons. The Council of Nicaea declared that the Son of God was homoousian, that is, of the same substance with the, um, I'm sorry, with the Father, but it did so to ensure that it was truly the Son of God incarnate, Jesus, who suffered and died for our sins and rose bodily from the dead for our salvation. Yes, the theologians in the Council of Trent employed the term transubstantiation, but did so to express correctly that the Eucharistic bread and wine was truly changed into the risen body and risen blood of Jesus. What could be more life-giving than these mysteries of faith? They are not dead, lifeless, abstract doctrines. <clears throat> the irony is that Francis's promotion of a new way of doing theology contains no actual theological, doctrinal, or moral content. His support for a new way of doing theology is vacuous. A further ambiguity needs to be addressed. Pope Francis is keen on consulting the faithful in the doing of theology. The faithful, however, appears to entail all people, even those who have false images of God. The census fidelium, that's the sense of the faithful, is composed by its very nature of those lay people who are faithful to what the church teaches and witnesses to the faith and its future authentic development. Those who do not believe or hold erroneous positions or desire to change the doctrinal and moral teaching of the church are ipso facto not part of the census fidelium. 
Francis appears to refuse to make this crucial distinction. Everyone is to have a voice in the synodal church, regardless of whether they have authentic faith. Lastly, Pope Francis proposes the need for a paradigm shift in theology. This is, again, an ambiguous and confusing proposal. There can be no authentic paradigm shift without being faithful to upholding and promoting what the church has authentically taught through the centuries. What has been previously taught and believed cannot now be said to be erroneous, and what is newly offered cannot be considered a legitimate development. In the end, a paradigm shift is a false notion, for by its very nature, it demands a radical and destructive change of what went before. I'm going to give you um, an illustration, dear ones, of um, a paradigm shift that that, uh, really uh, clarified to me what a paradigm shift is some years ago. And I've told this story, I don't know when, but two, what appeared to be two ships in the night um, uh, heading on the same course toward each other. They were heading for a collision. And the one ship, they used Morse code, and he Morse coded the other and said, uh, we're on a collision course, move to the right 10 degrees. And the uh, response came back by Morse code, uh, no, you move to the right uh, 10 degrees. And the, uh, the ship uh, came back, um, uh, I am a, I am a, a captain, you move. And the response came back from the other one, I'm a, a seaman, a first class, you have to move. And finally, um, the captain of the ship uh, who started this said, uh, we are a battleship, move. And the other one came back, we're a lighthouse. You better move. You see, that's a paradigm shift. You just assume they were two ships in the night fighting and you knew what they were until one of them was clarified. I'm a lighthouse. Well, discussion is over. Father Wynandy in, in, in this article says, hidden in Francis's ambiguous and confusing proposal for a new way of doing theology though in a sense not hidden at all, is his desire to foster his own theological ideology, the changing of the church's doctrinal and moral teaching. It can't be changed. We are a lighthouse. We are the faith um, once given to the saints. It cannot be changed. Although Francis cannot make these changes himself, for the Spirit will not allow him to do so, yet he provides the opportunity and incentive for others to attempt to do so, those theologians who are of the same mind as he is. Sadly, Father says, this endeavor will cause confusion among the faithful, the very sheep that Francis was appointed to protect and guide. Beloved, what's going on in the church under our Pope is, it's heretical, it's dangerous, 
it is not run by God. In my mind and heart, it's simply satanic. When you propose error, when you propose to change the truth once delivered to the saints, um, there's no theology. Theology is the study of God, theo. It is the study of God. This is not theology. This is, I, I, I want to say, demonic intervention. Do I say that Pope Francis is demonic? How could I ever say that? I don't know these things. Um, but what he does, uh, I believe, is um, the same thing that happened a couple of years ago with Pachamama. Um, you know, people say, what is he doing? Uh, Bishop Snyder said his bringing Pachamama into the Vatican was the largest, most blatant form of the desolation of abomination since the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32. And this continues. Um, I can't see anything other than he and those who have um, amazingly to me gone along with him um, in this so-called paradigm shift uh, away from the bark of Peter, away from the church. Um, uh, is it, It's bound to destroy the church. And the Holy Father, um, on his way to the UN for the climate change uh, meeting, um, he has become the chaplain of the One World Order. It is distressing, beloved. Um, there are a number of people who disagree with me. I don't speak on my own. I don't come to these conclusions on my own. Uh, it took me four and a half years to read my way into the church and to know what was true. Do I know it all? Absolutely not. Can I be wrong? Of course. Um, can I make mistakes? Can I speak error? Yes, 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 yes. But uh, no one has to be wise uh, on their own. All you need to do is look up the perennial teaching of the church. Go to the Council of Trent. Go to our current catechism. But again, the current catechism is recating the faith in a pastoral manner. But the Council of Trent defined the faith. And it cannot change. It cannot change, no matter who does what. And the Holy Father takes a vow to guard the sheep, to uphold the deposit of faith, to protect the church, not to destroy it. Um, and he's proposing a change to uh, the papal election and proposing that 25% of those who vote are going to be lay people, women, women religious. Um, this has nothing to do with God, beloved. Absolutely nothing to do with God. Um, so uh, we're going to come back from this music um, to our second half, beloved. And again, you're probably as confused as I am and as heartsick as I am that we're living through this time. But it is a time that Our Lady has prophesied through all her uh, apparitions. Uh, and we happen to be living through it. And we have the truth. And God help us if we keep it to ourselves. We'll be right back after the break, dear lover. 
Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. You know how they say we're supposed to practice the presence of God and try to pray during the day, maybe the Jesus prayer and praise the Lord. A beautiful, powerful way to practice the presence of God is anytime we're visited by a feeling of resentment or frustration or anger towards someone to pray for the person. That will make you holy real fast. That will heal you real fast. That will get the devil, you know, fleeing real fast. When we just habitually pray for the people who've hurt us. So again, if we want to make leaps and bounds in the spiritual life, that's something we can do. So, do you want to experience beautiful, deep, wonderful freedom in your life, then forgive. That's Sermons for Everyday Living from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the Station of the Cross. I listen to the radio station daily and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that, and through your programs, I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the Station of the Cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour together. And um, I'm thrilled to be with you. You are uh, welcome to call in with anything on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have an email uh, or a Facebook comment from Teresa. Can a layperson baptize a child if it's an emergency situation? Thank you. Yes. Anyone can baptize a child um, if it's an emergency situation. It doesn't require a priest or a deacon. Anyone can. Keep in mind, the child must be baptized in the correct Trinitarian formula, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and uh, also to keep in mind that a baptized child should be raised in the faith. And so the best uh, efforts need to be made for that child to be raised in the faith. But yes, uh, a lay person can baptize that a child in any emergency situation. Yes, a lay person cannot perform other sacraments, but they can baptize. Um, uh, let me just see. Um, we have an email from somebody who writes in anonymously and says, what boundaries need to be set when it comes to forgiveness, 
Is there ever a point where one should draw the line and not forgive? Um, dear one, if you could find a line that our Savior drew, then we could draw that same line. But he has not drawn any line. There is no line, there is no boundary of his love, life, death, resurrection for us to give us life. There he is on the cross. We not only threatened to kill him, we not only beat him, we not only spit on him, we nailed him to the cross and mocked him while he was up there. And on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. So is there any boundary for us if there wasn't for God himself, for the God-man himself, there's no boundary? Absolutely not. If we set a boundary on forgiveness to other people, we are asking God to set that boundary on us. Forgive us as, forgive our debts, as we forgive those who have transgressed against us, um, transgressed against us. We are asking God to forgive us as we forgive others. And so there's no boundary, absolutely no boundary. That doesn't mean that we're a dish rag. That doesn't mean that we continue to um, let ourselves be abused. We never let ourselves be abused. Um, but we always forgive. We forgive and we pray for those who uh, sin against us. Um, okay, we have a call. And I hope, uh, if, if you wish, uh, dear anonymous one who wrote that question, where one should draw the line and not forgive. Again, there's no such thing. Someone maybe have killed a child of yours. There's no such thing. We killed God. So no, no, no. Uh, there's no such thing as someone who uh, should not be forgiven, unless we should not be forgiven. Okay. Uh, Kurt, my dear friend, it's been 20 years since you call in. How are you? How are you doing? I'm doing great. We missed you. Oh, same here. I just got a. I just turned. I just had my birthday on Sunday. And Happy my birthday! Wife gave me, thank you. My wife gave me a beautiful rosary. It's all brass and it's made out of little bullets. Oh my! Is that the um, Father Heilman rosary? I don't know, but it's long. It's a big rosary. It's beautiful. Warfare. Oh, I'm said, so glad. Oh, yeah, and I even got one from Rugged Rosary. But, you know, I was in the men's march uh, on Saturday in Boston, and there was 304 of us, and we said the rosary loud and proud, all 15 decades. Good. While the LGBTQ community was there trying to shout us down. but Of course. We made but, it go through, but anyway. Um, God bless you, I Kurt. Like to say, thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Mother. It's a, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Um, I'd like to say, you know, you got to up your game in this time. You know, if you're saying one rosary, say two. If you're saying two rosaries, say two rosaries on Divine Mercy Chaplet. You go on a confession once, go twice a month. Keep doing it. Keep upping the game. Good for you. you I know, agree. Yep. You're going you're gonna to lose your faith because right now we have laity being infused into the ecclesial matters of the church. This is not Protestantism, but... The, I oh, yes, say, it is. Oh, yes, it is Protestantism. Oh, no, I know Kurt. it is. I know it is. 
But what I'm trying to say is, I know. we have mm-hmm. Catholic we have Catholic sacraments in a Protestant atmosphere, and most Catholics don't realize it because they've been marinated in it. And I think myself and yourself, seeing that we came from heresy, the Protestant heresies, our eyes have been opened, and any other convert will see exactly what they're trying to do. And I believe, you know, it's it's been going on since the Garden of Eden. It's always about divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. So all I can say is we have to look at the basics. It's the same old merry-go-round. It's just that the actors get different clothes on. That's all. It's just mm-hmm. the same old merry-go-round. Satan is trying to appear like he always does to everything we always wanted. And we certainly don't want to go to hell now, do we? Well, and we want to help others not to go there as well. Um, and so um, our increasing rosaries and prayers and faithfulness um, is not just for our souls, but it is to save others. And I'm, I'm, um, I'm so glad we have the breath and we're alive in this time, Kurt, in order to do that. God bless you, my dear brother, for calling in. And we have a call from Kathy in Rochester. Hi, Kathy. Hello, Mother. Um, I'm delighted to speak with you. Um, I love your clarity and your courage, basically, um, to speak to issues that are laying on the hearts of so many people. And so many different, you know, thoughts that come into right or wrong. Um, I'm in a bit of a predicament here. Um, Our parish introduced a brand new religious education program. And it's called the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. It's not new. I don't, I don't. It's not new. It's new to your parish, but it's not new. The parish. Okay. All right. Um, so I volunteered, and, um, you know, I, I've gone to, I don't know, maybe three sessions, but I really started looking into it. And I just wanted your opinion. If it really is faith formation, or I don't know if the approach from Marie Montessori um, is such a part of it that um, I'm confused. I don't know what the children are really being taught. Yeah, that's very important. Um, There was a a dear friend of mine uh, a couple of years ago in a Latin parish who wanted to adopt the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, And I had heard some issues back then, and so I did um, some research and found um, a a few uh, real concerns about it, Um, and one that kind of totally eliminated the program. Um, I don't recall what they are, but, um, but I do know it's problematic, and I could take the time to look it up, um, but if you if you would even on your own, Kathy, um, do an internet search. Hold on a moment. Do an internet search on the catechism catechesis of the Good Shepherd and its problems or difficulties, and um, and you'll there, there were at least three of them, and uh, and you can find that out. And when you do, print it out, bring it to your pastor. And because people aren't aware of it, they're they're so 
um, uh, happy to have a finished program that's done for them. In fact, that's how the Alpha program, which is Protestant, even when it says Alpha for Catholics, it's Protestant. It teaches error and it, it eliminates good Catholic theology. Um, but many bishops put it through their diocese because uh, I guess a certain amount of lack of initiative or laziness or um, lack of care for the sheep, whatever you feed them. Uh, so it's very, very important, Kathy. Um, I would not uh, cheer that program on. And in order for me to be specific, I would need to do uh, the research on it, which you can do simply on the Internet. Yes, on the Internet. Okay, Mother, I will, I will do that. Uh, thank you. Um, and hopefully I will look at it and see if my... And see what? And what I read. I'm going yes. to do a search as you suggest. Very good. You know, when you have babies, you have children, you look at the ingredients of the food you're feeding them. The same thing here. It's the soul that's that's very, very important. And um, there are other good programs um, for the parish to take on. There are many things Scott Hart has done, Curtis Mitchell has done. Um, I'm forgetting all the names of good programs, but there are many good programs. You can go to um, catholic.com and look at their pro. Go to TAN Publishers. They have very good programs. Okay. All right. Um, dear one, thanks so much, Kathy. Well, thank you, Mother. You're God welcome, bless sweet. You. Bye. God bless you. Yes. Um, uh, we have an email from Hubert, and he says, with Advent coming up, do you have any favorite Advent customs? And is it okay for Catholics to use things like Advent calendars and Christmas trees? I've heard some people say those kinds of things have pagan origins. You know, um, Everything has a, just go back, Abraham, the whole faith of the Hebrew people and Christianity uh, has a pagan origin. Abraham's parents were idol worshipers. Um, and, uh, you know, God, uh, circumcision uh, that uh, came to Abram, uh, whose name was changed to Abraham, was a pagan ritual. God um, has entered uh, our life, our creation, and turned everything to honor him. He is the creator of all things. Everything he made is good. It is we who have turned it to desecration and to what is bad. And in Christ, we restored to his original purpose and what is good. And so Christmas trees are absolutely fine. Advent calendars are absolutely fine. I mentioned before that our current newsletter, which hopefully will be in the mail in time to be received uh, for Advent, ha does have beautiful uh, Advent customs in it. I've repeated the story of Michael Matt uh, with his family. This is the third or fourth year I've published that story. It's the most beautiful I've seen um, or I've read from a truly, solidly Catholic family. It's absolutely beautiful. If you ever want to imitate, if you don't get our newsletter in line in time, go to motherofisraelshope.org and look up the newsletter from last Christmas. Um, and it, it'll be on our homepage and it'll be under newsletters as well. And look up the story, Waiting for the tri Christ Child. It's just, I to me, breathtakingly beautiful. 
and it'd be a wonderful way. For example, um, they build Michael and his children, I think seven. Um, they build a little manger for the Christ child, and it's empty, just a little wooden uh, manger, a little crisscross thing. And uh, there's a pile of straw somewhere in the field or the house. And every time the children, through the Advent season, do all 40 days of Advent, do something good, they take a straw and they put it in the manger. And the idea is, and the goal is, that by the time the baby Jesus arrives Christmas Eve, the manger is a full, fluffy bed of straw for him to lay in. It's very beautiful. And then there are the beautiful O antiphons, which are called the Golden Nights from December 17th right through to Christmas Eve. Um, We'll be right back from the break, and I'll mention a couple of other things. Did you know that an unwanted car or truck can make a great gift? When the time comes to purchase a new one, consider donating your old car or truck to the Station of the Cross. We have a quick and simple way for you to get rid of your unwanted vehicle while supporting the solid Catholic programming you love listening to on your radio, online, and through your mobile devices. Whether they run or not, we accept cars, trucks, RVs, boats, and motorcycles. It's a great opportunity for you to give more than you might normally be able to. At the same time, you'll be clearing out space in your garage or driveway, ridding yourself of an unwanted vehicle. Just visit us online at thestationofthecross.com or call 1-866-628-CARS, 1-866-628-2277. May God bless you for your generosity in support of Catholic Radio. Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I discovered the Station of the Cross rather providentially a year ago. I've been a loyal listener ever since. I can't overestimate the value of the station, but it's made a difference in my life in terms of making me better informed Catholic. It has enriched my faith and sold me during tough times. It made me laugh on several occasions. I commend the important work of this great apostolate. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I listen to the radio. And if I can listen to something that brings me closer to God, closer to Jesus Christ, then it's the most beautiful thing. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. It's about 10 minutes our lines are open, and you're still welcome to call in, dear ones, with anything on your heart. Toll-free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at com. Just before the break, uh, we began an email from Hubert who says, with Advent coming up, 
Do you have any favorite Advent customs? <clears throat> and is it okay for Catholics to use things like Advent calendars and Christmas trees? I've heard some people say those kinds of things have pagan origins. Um, so we talked about Advent customs before the break. And yes, it's fine for people to have things like Advent calendars and Christmas trees. And if some people say those kinds of things have pagan origins, everything God made is good. And without him, nothing was made. God is the creator of everything that exists. Whatever is pagan was taken from what God created and turned into uh, sinful purposes, turned toward man instead of God. And for God to take those things and redirect it to himself for us is a, is a beautiful thing. Um, and so um, don't worry about all that. As, as far as the Christmas tree, it would be good to keep Advent with Advent customs. Um, you can find many of them online. And again, our newsletter will have them. Um, uh, I would not be too quick to get a Christmas tree. Uh, even before Christmas Eve. Um, if you do get the tree, I wouldn't decorate it before Christmas Eve. And if you do decorate it with lights and everything else, including your home, don't turn them on. Because Advent is the coming of the Messiah, and we're waiting for him. And in the Old Testament, when the Hebrews knew they were going to meet God on the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, um, not they couldn't touch the mount or they would die. They couldn't speak to him. Uh, all they do is hear thunder. And in order to do that, they had to stand at a distance. They had to refrain from marital relations, not because they're wrong. Uh, marital relations are holy, but they needed to be extraordinarily set apart for a time to meet God and bathe and pray and fast. And so we should do that all during Advent, I'm not advocating staying away from marital relations, uh, but to be holy, to teach your children to be set apart. Your home should be dressed in purple or just very simple. And whatever you do for Christmas, don't put lights on and try to hold off decorations so that Christmas begins Christmas Eve. And I've said it before, if the whole world had all the lights in place and not one of them shining and Christmas Eve the whole world, all its different time frames, would flip the switch and all the lights would be on. And the, all the, everyone, pagans, non-Catholics, everyone would say, what just, even Catholics say, what just happened? And we'll say, the light of the world has come. And it begins Christmas Eve and doesn't end until the presentation of our Lord in the temple, according to the law of Moses, because Jesus was born under the law, under the old law. And that's February 2nd. And between Christmas Eve and February 2nd, there's much, 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 much to celebrate. There's Christmas, there's the Feast of St. Stephen, the first martyr. Um, uh, there is uh, Epiphany, uh, the light for revelation to the Gentiles, um, the purification of our Lord in the temple, the purification of Mary, the presentation of our Lord in the temple, the purification of Mary, candle mass, all three in one. Um, I, I know I'm missing things. It's so, such a beautiful time. And the world starts their Christmas trees even by Thanksgiving, if not before. And the day after Christmas, the lights are out and depression has come in because 
everything anticipated for Christmas, including food and festivals, festivities are all gone. It's the world's way of celebrating, not even the coming of our Lord, but celebrating man's idea of whatever Christmas means to them. So, um, Hubert, I would, I would truly uh, set your family apart and teach your children, if you have children, uh, the true meaning of Christmas and take them through Advent. There are many Advent pamphlets, calendars that have readings every single day. It's good to get an Advent wreath where you have four uh, candles, three purple and one pink, for each of the four weeks of Advent, which represent the 4,000 years prior to Christ. Um, And you have readings, you have music, you have singing. Uh, The whole song, O Come Ye, Come, O Come, O Emmanuel, takes you through the whole time of Advent. Um, We have an email from Marty, and Marty writes, Hello, Mother. How do we know what parts of the old law no longer apply and what parts still do? Now that we are under the new covenant with Jesus Christ, why can we eat pork now, but homosexual acts are still considered sinful? When you speak of the old law or old covenant, they're the same. The New Testament, the new, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the old law, the new law, the old covenant, new covenant, testament, um, law, covenant, all the same between the old and the new. And the old law refers to the law that God gave the Hebrew people through Moses on Mount Sinai. It took place in a month's time when the entire book of Leviticus was written. And so when the people crossed out of Goshen and um, to get to the promised land, one month later they stood before Mount Sinai and, um, and God gave them the law. The Ten Commandments, which are more than ten, um, and the entire law was given to them. It is uh, also known as the law of Moses. It's not the law of Abraham. There are several covenants in the old, um, uh, old covenant, um, in the Old Testament. Um, God's covenant with his people begins with Abraham um, and it continues right through to the second coming of Christ. Um, when Moses came and God gave the law, it was for the people of the covenant under Abraham to live a certain, you could have 10 children and they're doing their own thing, uh, reveling all over the place, disorganized, all of that. And you say, okay, we're getting together and this is how you're going to live from now on. You're getting up at this time, you're going to pray at this time, all of that. You're going to eat these foods, you're not going to eat junk food, all of that. And so the law of Moses was a law that prepared for the coming of Messiah. It was to show the Jewish people um, the heinous, uh, the heinousness of sin, how awful it was, and that the payment of sin is death to the sinner and the shedding of blood. And it all pointed to the one who would one day come as the lamb and shed his blood for us. So Marty, everything of the old law that pertains to how we live, including uh, animals, sacrifices, uh, material for clothing, uh, ordinances, uh, religious practices, the temple, everything is under the old law, otherwise known as the law of Moses. Jesus fulfilled that law, and there's not one thing of that law remains that is 
um, effective for salvation. You can still practice the old law, or at least parts of it, for example, not eat pork, if someone wishes. But in the old covenant, if you ate pork, it would be a great discipline from God's people. Um, and now, if you eat pork, it doesn't matter. God said, don't call bad what I've called clean. So now, um, all the specific laws given to the nation of Israel have been fulfilled in Christ, all of them. The Abrahamic covenant, which began with Abraham prior to the old law and will Purdue until the second coming, that has not been yet fulfilled. Um, and so um, you can, um, uh, oh dear, well, you can eat pork now, in fact you must, but homosexual acts are intrinsically evil and anyone who practices them, Paul says, will not enter heaven. We'll be back with you tomorrow.